Hey everybody, Michael Lejeune here with Game Changers for Government Contractors. Today we have special guest, Marsha, and she's going to be talking to us a little bit about pricing. But before we get into our discussion on pricing, Marsha, why don't you take a minute to tell everybody a little bit about who you are and what you do? This pricing game is strategic pricing for government contractors. And I say that because I've been doing that for over 30 years, mostly, and shall I say now, all federal government contractors. Most of mine are scientific and high technology companies. I love it. I'm an NCMA fellow, an APMP fellow, and an APMP professional. I live, breathe, and eat strategic pricing for government contractors. Nice. You eat, live, and breathe it so much you wrote a book about it called The Secrets of Strategic Pricing for Government Contractors. So that that's awesome. You want to tell us a little bit about the book before we hop in? Yeah, absolutely. The book really touches on the most important thing right out of the get-go, and that's define what strategic pricing is. The information is very easy to read. I'm very conversational in the book, but we talk about what are the processes that GovCons ought to use every time they step up to do a Proposal. And I talk mostly in a large chapter in chapter five on what are what I call the toolbox secrets, the real gems. It's, uh, it goes beyond just the basics. And in a later chapter, I talk about the most important part to me, which is the cherry on the sundae, how you can add value to what you talk about in pricing to your federal government customer. You brought up a good point there. You, you talk about the toolbox and, and everything. I believe in the book, you cover like three key strategic pricing tools. Do you want to talk about those real quick? Yeah, I sure do. There are 25 or so in that chapter on toolbox secrets. The three that I think are kind of hot and different, shall I say, because most contractors think they only have indirect rates and profit to work with, but there are others. Let's talk about things like bidding costs direct instead of keeping them in your indirect or most important, increasing the base that you use to design your G&A rate so that your G&A rate goes down. Most contractors are in a habit of, well, this is my wrap rate. That's what I'm going to use. If you're going after something that's new and different, you certainly want to take that into consideration. Another one that I like to talk about, particularly if you're bidding cost plus work, would be to consider uncompensated overtime. It has the impact of lowering your rates by 5%, 10%, whatever your history shows. You can also use what I call efficiencies and learning curves. Show the government that you know what you're doing. Those are some really important tools. Those are pretty big there. So I have a question here. I'm going to kind of back up for a minute. How did you get focused in strategic pricing? Like where in your career did you wind up here? It's really funny that you say that because I began in strategic pricing. I worked for a big defense contractor at the time over 30 years ago. And that's really what we did. I mean, that's what I was hired in to do was to do pricing. I quickly learned that it was just not, well, for this bid, we do the same thing. We mm -hmm. talked about what's new and different about this bid. What do we know about this customer? What do we know about our competition? So even then we were doing things that were strategically minded. And then I spent some of my career doing contracts and doing accounting, and I gravitated back to my favorite, which is pricing. And it's back to what I learned a long time ago. Strategically, what do we need to do in order to win this bid. That's interesting. You know, not everybody starts there, but you started there and ended up there. And the thing that you said that I hope everybody caught was you were hired just to do pricing. 
Yes. I think so many people really look at pricing as almost a last minute, oh, we can throw that together and get this done. And yet you were hired, your whole job, your whole purpose in life at that company was just to do strategic pricing. And I think that says a lot about how much work is involved to get to the right number. My name is Michael Lejeune, and I started this podcast to help government contractors win more government contracts. I wanted to help you by sharing all the tips and techniques and strategies that help me personally win millions of government contracts, and those strategies today have helped our clients win billions in government contracts. If you love this podcast as much as I do, I would really appreciate it if you go on whatever app you listen on and rate and review the podcast. That's how it gets out to the world and more people find out about it. Now let's get back into this episode. Getting to the right number is often the difference between winning and losing, right? Yep, right. I want to address something. Yes, I was hired to only focus on strategic pricing. Couple of things. One is that most companies attack pricing as a last minute thing, as a last resort. <clears throat> oh, we finished the technical, we finished this, we finished that. Oh, let's get to the pricing. No, 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 no. And I talk about this in the book, Secrets of Strategic Pricing for Government Contractors, a lot. And that is pricing should be part of the capture process early on throughout the proposal process throughout the capture process and when I was doing that initial job of strategic pricing I was involved with the capture all along capture and proposal from get-go to the point at which we were awarded Mm. it okay all the way through oh by the way the other thing is that people think sometimes of strategic pricing as okay other duties as a sign let's get our finance people to put this pricing together let's get our contracts people to put this pricing together. It should be a focused effort. It should be somebody's job to do it, not Mm. other duties as assigned. I think those are really good points because I talk to so many people who, when they come to us, they're saying, I'm chasing RFPs and we can't win and we don't know why. They're like, we just can't write a good RFP. And we sit down and you look at pricing and you're like, yeah, but you're also 30% more than everybody else. And they're like, how can people do it for that? I can't tell you how many times I've had that conversation where they're like, I don't understand how they can do the work for that amount. It all comes back a lot of times to how do you do your pricing? How are you coming up with your number? Which is one of the things that that I always tell people is you have to be able to justify your price. At the end of the day, you have to be able to justify it. And if you can't figure out internally how you got there, that's a problem. I think that's a big problem for a lot of folks of, well, we were told we should just use this multiplier and it's 1.6, it's 1.7, it's whatever it is. And you know what, Mike, we've been using that number since day one and it's 30 years later. <laughs> you know, that's just yes. what it is. Have you looked at, at any other contracts or any other things out there? Have you have you put any other thought into this other than that multiplier? And the right. answer is usually no. They haven't thought about it. Again, it's not to pick on anybody who's been doing it the way they've been doing it to kind of open people's eyes to all of the things that go into getting a yes. really good price. You know, if you were to, to look at even the tools that 
that in your toolbox. What's like one of the one things that you're like, this one thing here is so undervalued yet is probably the most critical factor that I use today in, in coming up with the right price? Well, the one thing I'll say, if I were to cherry pick this and go, okay, what rises to the top? The biggest thing that contractors can do is they can impact their GNA rate for every single bid that they go after. If it's not existing contracts, so it's not part of their GNA base today, it's not part of their business base today. If it's going to be new, then that new work is going to bring them a whole bunch of new business, and that is going to have the effect of lowering their GNA rate. That may be the one thing at the top that you can do easily, you can do it quickly, and you can use it every single time, Mike. That's a good one. There are two dozen more in the book. My point is that's one that's simple, it's easy, it's quick. And, you know it's, what I'm and saying? it's overlooked. It's overlooked. And it is overlooked. When it comes to the tools that are out there, I know there's a bunch of different websites. Do you have a favorite one or two or recommendations where you're like, look, if you're not using these one or two websites, you are just missing out. Yeah, there's calc.gov. That's one that I love. I love calc.gov because it'll give you some idea of what other people are charging. The other thing that you can do, and there's there's more in my book. I give you tons of references at the back of the book, tons of websites that you can go to. Calc.gov will tell you a lot. If you're interested in knowing about what one contractor or two contractors or three that are competitors of yours are doing, go out and find out what they're doing on GSA schedule information. Go out to govwin.com and subscribe and get that information. Buy .gsa.gov is another one that I love. There are a lot of places to go get information these days. Don't just sit there and go, I'm just going to price this in a vacuum. What we've always been doing is the same thing we're going to do. You need to do something different. It's not just about your indirect rates. If someone says to you, get to a 1.6 multiplier and you got it and then you lose, then you only have yourself to blame, right, okay? Because right. you didn't look at all of the other tools that are available to you. That's good point. And I think for a lot of folks, they don't realize that the GSA schedules are out there. Like you can go look at this. They don't think right. about, oh, that stuff is public. You can go look and see Correct. what people have on their schedule. And you know, if somebody has that on their schedule, number one, that's a negotiated rate. But number two, you know, or at least I hope you know, that the right. government is going to ask for a discount on that. So it's going to be Absolutely. a little bit cheaper than what you see on their GSA schedule. I think too many people try and depend on like looking for like the old contract, like, hey, let's try and find that old contract information. And sometimes you just can't find it. You'll be looking right. and you're like, I can't find it. I'm calling the contracting officer. They either don't have it or they're not responding and or they're taking forever to respond. You have no idea. You're like, I think this is the right contract. I can't get all the documents. They're not in SAM or whatever it is. And there's information you either can't get or they don't have, but yet GSA is out there. Calc is out there. Buy.gsa.gov. I think that's the other one you mentioned. You know, just right. so many different websites where you can go and grab this information to have a better better idea of what's going on. I think when you sit down and you look at a price and you go, wow, they're 50% less than us. I think that's an opportunity for you to look at how you're operating your company as well, especially if you're small. Yes. What's going on in your company that you're so out of whack that it's 50% off from your competition? Right. Like what's going on? And you, you kind of have to look internally and go, well, hey, you know, we're paying our CEO this much and we're, you know, and, and whatever else is going on that's causing our, our numbers to be so off. Yeah. And people say to me all the time, well, you know, my 
multiplier is too high. Well, then your cost of doing business may be too high. That's mm -hmm. one side of the equation. Mm -hmm. But the other side of the equation is, are you bringing in more and considering all the business that you are supporting? Okay, yes, cost is one side of it. But then there's also, what are you putting into your book of business? That doesn't mean that you go out and you buy in and lose money on contracts because the government doesn't need for you to go for a zero profit, but you need to be bringing in more business. And cost is only one side of that equation. Right, right. But people say, I can't get to a 1.4 multiplier. Well, maybe you can't, but you have the other parts of the equation. You can take a look at your salaries. You could take a look at your efficiencies. You can take a look at what are the various things that you need to do to be more competitive. And like you're saying, are you paying your CEO $500,000 a year? Mm, maybe that's a problem. Or maybe your unallowable costs are too high. It's going to eat into your profits. You need to take a look at the whole composition of your business. Yeah. Okay? One of the things that we haven't talked about yet that I think is another interesting point is it, it seems like a lot of companies wait till they get in the RFP process to even look at this. And like you said, it, it's one of the last things they look at is now that we've got this well-written proposal, let's sit down and look at the price. You know, we've got two days right. left to submit it. Let's look at the price, right? And I think, and I know from your book, you can start this process much earlier. Talk to me about like your recommendations on when to start working on pricing. This is probably the biggest thing that I've learned over the years. I've been talking about early pricing involvement actively since 1999. I did a presentation in what, 23 years ago on that concept. Because if you're involved during the capture process, you and the capture manager are working hand in glove. You're developing internal pricing models early on. I don't care whether you have an RFP or not. You can begin to spitball some information in there that gives you some idea of what those numbers are going to begin to look like. You can work some of the direct costs. You can, you can make some of the good pricing decisions that have to be made by management early. Like, do we need a new facility? Do we need to add different kinds of staff? We can be doing indirect rate analysis very early on. Those are decisions that involve the company at the highest levels, and you need to be looking at those, not waiting till two days before, two weeks before. The other part is that you need to be considering what are the investments that you as a company are going to make in this if it's a must win and it's big for you, then there should be something that your company is investing in in order to win it. I'm talking mm. about, you know, non-recurring costs maybe or patents or various kinds of things that you as a company ought to be doing. But you need to be talking about that because you want to address that in your executive summary in the price volume and address it as a value proposition to the federal government. Really good points. And as you were saying that, a couple of things popped into my mind. If I get in this process early, I can almost do like use the pricing piece as a bid, no bid. And to me, that's one of the things that people never talk about is <laughs> we're trying to actually make profit. What it, an idea. You know, like it's the whole concept of being business, right? It's really fun. I always tell people, I'm like, when did you recognize you were a nonprofit? And they're like, we're not, we're for, pro I'm like, well, you're not making any money. So you're right. a nonprofit at the moment. And you know, they chuckle and they're like, well, we're, we've been so 
focused on winning, we haven't been focused on profit. Why is mm-hmm. that? So like if you were early in on this process before you've written a 300 page proposal and you're like, man, there's not enough room in here for us to make decent profit. And should then, we pursue it? Yeah. Then maybe uh, uh, you shouldn't write 300 pages on something right. that's not going to be profitable. Or there's too much competition. If we can't do it for, pick a number, $200 million and it has to be $200 million and we're finding it's 250 and we can't get there. Well, first of all, talk about how you can get there. That's number right. one. But number two, if you know that before you sit down to write 300 pages, you saved a whole bunch of BNP money and effort and wearing people out. And maybe you're not pursuing the ones that you have a high probability of winning. Yep, you yep. know that pricing early on during the capture phase, then maybe you stop pursuing those things you shouldn't be pursuing. I think that's just super important because at the end of the day, you're in business to make a profit. You're not in the business yep. to break even or lose money or to keep losing. It, yes. it is so devastating to a company when you put together an amazing proposal and right. you submit it and everybody high fives and thinks, wow, this was just the best proposal we ever put together. You sit and you wait a month and it comes back and you weren't even in the ballpark. You weren't even close. It's devastating for your team. And like you said, you there's all that business development money that you, know, you could be assigning to something completely different. And here we are spinning our wheels doing this. So I'm really a big fan of doing the homework work up front, making sure you can win. I think it was Colin Powell who his advice was, don't fight a war you can't win. Like, why would you do that? We go in knowing we're coming in and we are overwhelmingly going to be the victor in this thing. That's just one of those concepts that I've always stuck to. If you don't think you can win, why are you chasing this? There's some strategic decisions there, but again, if it's a 300-page proposal and it's costing you $60,000 to write this thing in time, energy, resources, and all this stuff, and it's it's a 25% chance, you probably need to reevaluate what's going on in, in your processes right. there. The other thing that, that I was going to point out to me about the early at this is assume there's products and services and teaming partners going to be involved in something. The earlier you get to work on this, the better you are yeah. about knowing all of those moving pieces. Because again, if there's products involved and you've got to go get pricing and volume discounts and different things you've got to work in and all kind of stuff, you know, it may take a week or two to get numbers back from somebody. Sometimes yeah. even longer. Than- or, I was being optimistic. I've heard a lot of times where like somebody's like, it's literally like two hours before we submit this thing and we finally got the pricing because, you know, you submitted a request for a quote for 97 line items <laughs> and somebody's right. literally trying to go through and go, okay, well, we've got shipping, we've got product costs, we've got a volume. And they're going through one by one and they're checking right. with their suppliers. And so there's multiple layers of all this stuff. So anytime it's even remotely complicated, get in early. That's like my best advice on this. Well, the other thing that I want to say before we leave this conversation is your teammates are very, very important. The more complex of team you have, the more opportunities you have to have hiccups. Mm-hmm. And have, shall I say this, as I say it in the book, your teammates can wreck the price faster than anything. Right. Okay. That's right. And so if you're not discussing price early on with those teammates, you're 
almost certainly in a hostage situation at the last minute where they're going, I got the price and it's too high and you can't do anything about it. You haven't had the discussions. You haven't had an understanding between you about where you're going with the price or who's going to maybe, okay, we're going to have to take that piece away from you because you're too high and this teammate can do it or we can do it. My point Mm -hmm. is that that makes it that much more complex. The more complex it is, the more time you need, the more early discussions that you need to have yeah. absolutely uh, all right on point I, I have one final question for you I actually sure. have two one is one is my final question then one's the close up here but okay. my final question here is I'm sure you've heard of this quite a bit in, in your work here so you've gone through all of the time and energy to come up with your price and you've got this price that you're like man this is the price and then the government does this fun thing where they come back to about five people and they say can you give us your best and final offer right. what are maybe one or two suggestions you have on that okay so so first of all, you should have been prepared in the capture stage for your best and final. That's what you're talking about. You're talking about it from the get-go. You're talking about, do we have a different going-in position than we expect to give at the final? Or do we expect to give best and final from the get-go? Maybe you do. Maybe you don't. Do you know that you're going to do that best and final reduction? Is that a hip pocket? Is that as part of your strategy? you got to know that from the beginning. Maybe you're not going to have all of the numbers in time to go in, like you were saying. So maybe you're going to fine tune it with those product costs from your vendors. You're going to go into negotiations beyond that time. So you're going to have some of that later on. Or do you go in from the beginning with that going in position? Again, you have to know the customer. You expect they're going to award from the get-go. So sometimes your best and final is what you submit at the beginning, but you got to know that that's part of your strategy. That's part of your strategic pricing move. Do you have a a typical answer for that of go in with your best and final or have that as a like you said the hip pocket response there do you have it, a, a normal one I don't have a normal one because everyone is different you don't know every customer is not the same you don't know if this customer says I got to award this in 60 days you know we need to mm-hmm. get started fast then you're going to go in with your best and final offer from the get go if you know this is going to drag on for a year yada 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 you know the customer is wasting that time. Yeah, you probably want to save it. Good advice there. So my final, final question, all been good stuff. Any final thoughts if you had to leave listeners with just one or two things? Yes. The most important thing I want to leave you with is this. Do not leave your ability to write about the value that you bring in your business case in the pricing volume in an executive summary. Do not fear an executive summary. It's a one pager, maybe a two pager, but this is where you write how you are saving the government time, resources, money, and you are writing that in something that's a benefit to the government customer. And you're writing it in such a way that you want them to take those words and put it into their source selection document. You want them to go, this is a slam dunk. If we don't take this contractor, we're crazy. You want that opportunity. Most contractors go, well, they didn't ask us for an executive summary in the business volume, so we're not going to give it to them. That's wrong. This is where you get more poetic license than anywhere else in your entire proposal. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. And I can't tell you how many times I review an RFP and I'll tell them like, where's your executive summary? Or, hey, your executive summary just says, this is the classic one. It just says, thank you, agency. We appreciate the opportunity to bid on this contract. And there's like four more paragraphs that basically say the same thing. And that's Wrong. the executive summary. And so it's a really powerful area that you can help 
influence the acquisition. So I'm glad you brought up that. Thank you for all the thoughts today. For those that are listening, we will have links and phone numbers and all that kind of stuff to Marsha's website and and book and all that stuff with the podcast. The book is called Secrets of Strategic Pricing for Government Contractors. It's on Amazon. Marsha, thank you for coming on the show today and talking about pricing. It's one of my favorite topics that I like to talk about. So I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thank you, Mike. I really hope you enjoyed this episode of Game Changers for Government Contractors. If you have a suggestion for a topic or a guest, please reach out. We are always looking for new guests, new topics, and things that you want to hear about. Thank you for your support, and we'll see you next episode.